appreciate the opportunity to present a lesson to you this evening. And uh, Sunday before last, I was privileged to teach the adult auditorium class, and several of you had very kind, encouraging things to say, and I want to thank you for that. And we're going to sort of continue that study tonight as part of our worship as we continue to think about some of those old familiar stories that most of us heard when we were growing up. And many of you young parents are now telling your very young children the stories of creation and Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, of Noah and the flood, of the Tower of Babel, the lessons about Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and his wives and Joseph and his time in Egypt and how the family he brought to Egypt and how the stories go on and on and on. But those very familiar stories, I think, sometimes deserve to be revisited as adults, we may see them a little differently, and we may sometimes be surprised at some of the lessons that God was teaching to us in those stories that we may not have realized until later on when we got to the New Testament. Now, I want to start by taking just a few minutes and, and just briefly cover some of the things that we did Sunday before last in class, not to dwell on them, but just to sort of use that as an introduction and a background to what we're doing tonight. First of all, the scripture that... Uh, Colonel read to us a while ago, and can you hear me fine, by the way? The scripture from Galatians points out to us that we are not under the law. We understand that. We are not governed by the old law. But it did serve a purpose. The purpose was that it was to bring us to Christ. It was our schoolmaster. It was our tutor. It bring us to Christ so that by, through faith, faith in Christ, faith that's bolstered, built up by what we learn in the Old Testament, by faith, we can be justified. As God begins to present himself to us in the Old Testament and tell us things more specifically about his will than what he's revealed to us even from just nature around us, he wastes no time. The very first verse, the first chapter, he says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving upon the face of the waters. And we noted several things about those first few verses. One, God is eternal. He was here at the beginning. He was before the beginning. God's name for himself is, I am who I am. He is a present tense spirit. No beginning, no end. He is eternal. Secondly, we noted that God is very powerful, all powerful in fact, because he created everything. In the beginning, God created and the very word create suggests that something that is here that was made from nothing. God is the only one who could create matter and the only one truly who can ever, and he will someday, destroy matter. God is the creator. He is most powerful. The third thing we noticed is that in the first chapter and two chapters actually of Genesis, God says that, that uh, he says of himself, let us make man in his own image. And in verse 2 of chapter 1, he talks about his spirit moving upon the face of the waters. So early on, even though God presents himself as one God, he also presents himself to us in three different ways. He manifests himself to us as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Fourthly, we also notice that God is an orderly God. He created things in an order. It was not by chance. 
the order in which creation occurred each day was exactly the order that things needed to be created in and for us and everything else he created to survive as we survive today. That in and of itself could be an interesting study, by the way. Concerning man, in those first few verses in that story, we learned that man was made in God's image. We understand that to mean that we are creatures of choice. That involves a responsibility to choose correctly and also that we have an eternal part of ourselves, such as God is eternal, we have an eternal soul, an eternal soul that will never die. That second story in Genesis of Adam and Eve and their sin, their fall, talks to us about man abusing, not using properly his choice. We talked Sunday about the importance of making good choices. We all have to make choices. Some are more important than others. Some have consequences further reaching than others. But we all make choices. There's no way that we can avoid that. Concerning God from the story of Adam and Eve and their fall, we pointed out that God desired from the very beginning to have a relationship with man. His relationship with Adam and Eve is described as his walking in the garden, and they would hear him walk in the garden. And you remember when they sinned, they heard Adam, Adam and Eve heard God walking in the garden, and they hid from him. And God asked them while they were hiding, the thing I think we need to understand and remember is that God already knew of their sin. We cannot hide our sin from God. God knows our sins. Adam and Eve, like many today, tried to make excuses and blame others, but ultimately they had to accept the responsibility and God punished them for the poor choices that they had made. Then we came to the story of Cain and Abel and briefly pointed out that, of course, God wants to be worshipped, but there is acceptable worship and there's unacceptable worship. Just as Cain's worship was unacceptable, rejected by God, not respected by God, and Abel's was, that can happen to us today. We need to be sure that when we come to God and we approach Him to worship Him, that we approach God as He wants to be worshipped. Unfortunately for Cain, because his worship was rejected, his attitude was not that he was repentant for what he had done incorrectly, but he was jealous, envious, angry to the point that he took the life of his brother. And so we need to guard our attitudes in terms of those things that we, how we react when we're correct, corrected and when we find out that we've done something wrong. That brings us now to the story of <clears throat> Noah. And uh, some very interesting things that I hope we can point out about Noah this evening. Of all the stories in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, Noah is probably one of the better known. We think about that great ark, the huge dimensions of the ark, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall. That's a huge ark. Think about what Noah and his sons must have done to build a huge boat of that size. Some of you are carpenters. I'm not. Some of you are builders. Just imagine what it would be like if you, didn't, you couldn't go to the sawmill and you couldn't go to the hardware store to buy your, your nails. You had to make everything, or maybe you had someone that could cut the lumber. It would be done much more crudely than today. And we're talking about a lot of materials to build a ship that size, a lot of materials. And yet, Noah accepted that task.
As that story begins in Genesis chapter 6, it's recorded that God said, I will not strive with man forever. You see, the, the state of man was such that, as God had said, the every intent of his mind, of his thought, was evil. Now, that says to me that just as you're hearing my voice, and this morning we heard Jeff speak to us, and most times we're hearing Randy speak to us, God hears my thoughts. He hears my thoughts just as well as you can hear one another. We hear one another speaking. He hears our thoughts. Remember what Jesus said in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount? He speaks to the fact that if we lust in our hearts, if we can commit adultery in our hearts, we've already commit, committed the sin. God knows our thoughts. He says of the people in Noah's day, every intent of the thoughts of their heart were evil. But there was one man, Noah, scriptures say that God, Noah found grace in God's sight. Even though God set out to punish all of those who, who were not to be saved in the ark, he spared Noah and his family. God approached Noah and he told Noah, this is what I'm going to do, Noah. The world is evil. I'm going to destroy the earth, all the creatures, all of mankind. I'm going to save you. I'm going to save your family. I'm going to give you directions about saving some of the creatures in the earth so that life can be started again after the flood. But he didn't stop there. He didn't just say to Noah, Noah, I need for you to build a big boat. He didn't leave Noah guessing as to what to do. He told Noah exactly how to build the boat. He gave him the dimensions. He told him the materials. He told him three decks, one window. He told him exactly what he wanted. God does the same thing for us today. He warns us about the dangers of sin and the dangers of not following his directions and disobedience. But it doesn't stop there. He tells us specifically what we need to do in order to be saved, just as he gave Noah specific directions. Concerning Noah, we note that Noah was very obedient. He obeyed God. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 22, we read that Noah did according to all that God commanded him to do. And we read the exact same thing in the next chapter, by the way, in chapter 7, as if to make an emphasized point that God obeyed, that Noah obeyed God. The important thing that Noah did, he obeyed. Those of you that have young children, and there's several families in here, I'm sure that most of you, if not all of you, really impress upon your children the importance of obeying. You talk about that word, obey. Obey your parents. If they're school age, obey your teachers. Obey your grandparents. Be obedient. God expects our obedience. He expects our obedience. Jeff made some good points about that this morning as he talked about the possible conflict between obeying, obeying the laws of the land and obeying God's laws. And I think we all understand and appreciate the fact that God expects us to honor his laws above the laws of man's. Also concerning Noah, at the end of that time that he and his family spent in the ark, the ark came to rest on that range of mountains known as Ararat, and eventually the floodwaters abated, and he was able to leave the ark. One of, if not the first thing that Noah did was that he worshipped God. He built an altar and he worshipped God. Everything we could understand about that is that his worship was acceptable. Unlike the worship of Cain, 
Noah worshipped God in a way that God wanted to be worshipped. He was thankful. He wasted no time in, in expressing his appreciation and thanks, his thanks to God. And his worship was accepted. Noah was a righteous man. I want us to think about for just a moment a verse that we read in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8. Of course, this is that chapter that contains passages that reminds us of sin, so many of the characters from the Old Testament and how they demonstrated their faith. And concerning Noah, the writer of Hebrews says this, chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. His obedience was a demonstration of righteousness, doing the right thing. Most, if not all of us, think about that part of the story of Noah, how that he rescued or God saved his family from the flood through the ark. But we may never think much about what followed a short time after. It may have been a year after or two years later. I don't know. But in my Bible, it's on the next page from the time he came out of the flood. That doesn't necessarily mean it happened the next day, but it's on the next page. And the verse simply says this, that Noah became a farmer, he planted a vineyard, he drank of the juice of the vineyard, and he became drunk. But we've just read that Noah was a righteous man, and yet we know that drunkenness is a sin. How could a righteous man become drunk? And that's because righteousness and perfection are not the same. We are to be righteous people. We are to be righteous, meaning to try to do what is morally right. And Jeff talked about the moral rightness of things. We should try to do what is morally right, do what's correct by God's law, by God's expectations. But even God realizes that we will still sin. Even a righteous man and a righteous woman will sin. But we also know how to repent, don't we? We're not told the story of what happened to Noah after he was drunken, whether he repented or not. I'd like to think that he did because he, was, he is described as a righteous man. But let's remember that righteousness does not mean perfection. And I think sometimes, some of us may be too hard on ourselves. I'm not trying to make excuses for sin. But have you ever heard someone say something about, I'm just not good enough to do such and such? I'm just, I'm, I'm too evil. I've heard people, I've never had anyone tell me this, but I've heard people say that people have said to them, I'm just not good enough to become a Christian. The truth is we are all Christian, all sinners. We are all sinners. The difference between the Christian and the one who's not is that the Christian is the saved sinner. And the one who's not in Christ is the unsaved sinner. We all stand in need of repentance. We all stand in need of confessing our sins. We all stand in need of God's forgiveness. Not only was Noah a righteous man, but there are many others we could think about in the scripture that were also righteous that sinned. Think of David and the sin he, he committed with Bathsheba. Think of Solomon, possibly the greatest king of Israel, Certainly Israel was at its pinnacle as a nation, but Solomon, 
became an idol worshiper, a righteous man but still committed great sins. The Apostle Peter, the night that Jesus was betrayed, denied that he even knew Jesus with an oath. He swore. Were those men righteous men? Yes, they were. And yet they sinned. In some cases, we're told of their repentance and others were not. Again, righteousness is not to be equated with perfection. We need to be righteous, do the best we can, and then pray to God for forgiveness those times that we fall short. <clears throat> the next story and the last one I want to make some comments about has to do with the Tower of Babel. Sometime after the Great Flood, let me back up a moment. When Noah and his family came off the ark, the first thing that God told them to do was, he said to Noah and his sons, I want you to multiply and I want you to replenish the population of the earth. He expected them to have families, large families, let the population of the earth again rise in numbers. But sometime after that, descendants of Noah, many of them, collected the tails together on a plain called the Plain of Shinar. And there they gathered together and they said, let us stay together and let us build a tower. Let us do this together and make a name for ourselves. Now, there are two things wrong with what they're saying. One, they're disobedient to God's will for them to spread out and multiply and replenish the earth. And secondly, as bad if not worse, was that element of pride because they said, we want to make a name for ourselves. That in and of itself is a problem. James chapter 4 verse 10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Never should we think that we should elevate ourselves. And let's be careful that we don't put too much emphasis on the things that I've accomplished or you've accomplished, the things that you or I may hope to be able to do. Those are not the important goals in life, are they? It's not what we gain. It's not what we have. It's not what we purchase. It's not the honors that we receive. It's not being elevated in the sight of our friends and neighbors. That's not important. We need to be serving the Lord. Serve the Lord. Joshua said in some of his closing words to the children of Israel, Serve, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. He was a leader of strength, but a humble man. Solomon, even Solomon, he committed great sin. He's a very wise man, wisdom from God. But in the closing verses of Ecclesiastes, he said, Hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. Great achievements and achieving honor, possessions, that's not something we should be concerned about. Let us be concerned about serving God. And if we're to be elevated and honored, let's allow God to do that for us. Humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. In Proverbs 16, verse 18, we read, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Concerning God, as we think about the Tower of Babel and that story found in Genesis chapter 11, we find that God was unhappy because the people there were disobeying him, and his solution was very simple. 
he confused their languages so that their languages were un understandable between one another. It was like babbling, and that's why the story is and the place is called Babel. But he confused their languages, and they had to divide and split, and they went to here and there where people of the same language spoke, a group there and a group there. And to me that says this. If God has a plan in place, that plan is going to be what's going to take place. God's plan, God's will is going to be done. One way or another, whether we wish to be a part of it or not, it will be done. Jeff uh, uh, made reference to a story in Acts chapter 5, and you may want to turn there, Acts chapter 5, this morning, and I want to just read a little passage there because I think it's, it really points out to us exactly what this story is telling me. This is the occasion where some of the apostles have been preaching in the streets of Jerusalem, the synagogue. Jewish leaders were not happy, particularly those men who were members of the Jewish synagogue, and they had called them in on an occasion and said, quit preaching. And yet, the apostles won out, and they disobeyed the Sanhedrin. They disobeyed the Jewish authorities, and they preached. They were called back in again, and in Acts chapter 5, starting at 28, we would read this. The Sanhedrin was saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said this, we ought to obey God rather than men. We ought to obey God rather than men. What's really important here follows. I want you to jump down a few verses to um, verse 38. One of the members of the Sanhedrin is a man named Gamaliel, a very famous teacher, a very wise man. And he offers some very good advice to the Sanhedrin. Listen to what he says. And now I say to you, keep away from these men, talking about the apostles, and let them alone, for if this is their plan, for if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if this plan or this work is of God, if it's of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. Important lesson from the story of the Tower of Babel. God's will will ultimately be what's done. Our choice is, are we going to be a part of God's will? Are we going to work with God? Are we going to be on His side? Or are we going to be like some of those people who are trying to build a tower, build a name for themselves, and fight against God's plan? Their efforts were in vain. The tower was not completed, and they were scattered as God had wanted them to do. It's our choice. We must make the choice. The story of Noah and the great ark and the flood is a story probably about history's most famous boat. You think about it. Oftentimes the story is talked about as being the story of the flood, the story of Noah and his ark. The truth of the matter is, it's not a story about Noah and his ark. The story is about Noah and God's ark. God commissioned the ark. God gave Noah specific plans 
a blueprint, if you would. The length, the width, the height, the number of levels. God had the plan. It was his ark. He said, build this ark. You build this ark, Noah, the one I'm going to describe to you, and you and your family will be saved from the flood. You and your family. Now, God's blueprint called for the ark to be lined inside and out with pitch, with tar. And I don't know about you, but I don't care about getting sticky tar on my feet when I walk across a parking lot or across a newly paved surface. Someone may have thought to themselves, human nature is, why would you want to put tar on the inside and outside of a boat? It's not very aesthetically pleasing. It's going to be awkward to get around on if it ever gets hot. Someone else might have said, one window, that sure won't meet fire codes. One door, that wouldn't meet fire codes. One window, you need more ventilation than that with all those animals in that ark. Think about the smell. Who knows what other objections people may have come up with. If Noah had thought of any of those, it's not recorded. We're not told that he did. Again, Genesis 6.22 says that God told Noah what to do, and Noah did exactly as he was commanded to do. Noah followed God's plan. Noah did not build Noah's ark. He built God's ark. Here's the lesson for us there. And I'll be closing here in just a moment. Too many people today want to use human wisdom like some may have wanted to do with God's ark centuries ago. There are people who want to toy with the organization of the church. They've got a better way. They may want to change the, me the method of entrance into the church. Maybe they have a better way, they think. They may want to change the name of the church. They may want to change the mission of the church. If they do, though, it's not God's church. Have you ever heard someone talk about something like this? Down at my church, or at our church, or the singing at our congregation, or the little preacher down there where... where our church meets, and without realizing it, and if we're guilty of that, I hope we'll not use that terminology. Without realizing it, I think sometimes people say more truth than they realize. If the worship at my church is different from what God wants, my worship's going to be rejected like Cain's was. If I choose the way I want to worship and it's different from God's, it's not God's church. You know whose church it is? my church. If we decide that we want to change the entrance, or entrance requirements for the church from what God has presented to us, hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, live faithfully, it's no longer God's church. It becomes man's church. If we change the organization of the church, instead of elders, we have one pastor. We put women in charge instead of the male leadership role as God has demonstrated and told us we should have. If we change that, it's no longer God's church. It's man's church. God has specifically given us directions for his church and how we should live today. Just as he gave Noah specific directions and a blueprint for the ark, 
and he expects total obedience. That is our role. Just as Noah was expected to obey, and he did, that's what we're expected to do today. God expects us to do this. If we want to be a part of his church, the church is made up of those who are saved. We read in Acts chapter 2 that God added daily those who were being saved to his church, to the church. Just as the ones who were saved in Noah's day were on the ark and in the ark, today, if we're saved, it's because we are saved and God has put us in his church, not in man's church. And to be in God's church, we need to hear. We need to hear what he has to say. We need to believe the message to the point that we would obey it. And we need to obey by confessing that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, repenting of our sins, which means turning, making a change where needed, being baptized, immersed baptism in water, and living faithfully thereafter as best we can, praying for forgiveness of sins when we've committed sins after we've entered the Lord's church, and beg that Christ would always continue to be with us. Scriptures tell us that the blood of Christ continues to cleanse us once we have been baptized and we've been added to his church. I want to urge you this evening, encourage you, that we encourage one another to be faithful to the Lord's church, to read and study our Bibles, to obey everything that we read there, so that we're not being a part of some man-made organization, but that we're a part of the Lord's church, that we're a member of the saved body of Christ. We have done what he wants us to do to be added to his church. If you need to do that this evening, or if you have a need or request for prayers of this congregation, we want to encourage you to respond as Adam comes now to lead us in this song.